And then as we experience more of that love and more and more of him, we are changed. Now, I think sometimes as Christians, we get this back the front. We think that Christianity is a behavior modification program. It's all about we can't do this, we can do this, we will do this, we won't do that, you know. And that's not what it's about. The change is important, don't get me wrong, but the change needs to flow out of our, our relationship and love with Jesus, not the other way around. So you guys know me. I can't leave things alone, that's who I am. Verses 16 and 17, yeah? I don't know if any of you have this experience, but do you ever have those times that you sit there and you read the Bible and you think, I literally have no idea what that's trying to say and what that means for my life? Well, that was what happened with me in verses 16 to 17. So I think they should be up there, hopefully, Claire. Yes, that's it. I just haven't put the right thing at the top. That sounds like something I would do. Okay, it says this. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. And God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I hope you're not, because that wouldn't be fun for you. <laughs> when I read this, these verses, I started thinking to myself, so who should I be praying for and who shouldn't I be praying for? And what happens if I get that wrong? And then I started thinking to myself, so what is a sin that leads to death and what is a sin that doesn't lead to death? And what about if I get those definitions wrong? And then I started thinking to myself, well, what about if I'm the person who's doing the sin that leads to death and I don't know it and it's leading to death and then no one's praying for me because they know they shouldn't be praying for the person who's doing the sin that doesn't lead to death. And I started to get really, really anxious and overthink things and go into this vicious cycle of the crazy of Mandy's mind, yeah? So again, practical Mandy stepped in and I took a step back and I thought what I would do is I would go and do some research. I would go and find some commentaries. Um, I would find some scholarly articles about these verses and find out what they meant, yeah? So can I tell you, there are a lot of people who have a lot to say about these two verses, yeah? Yeah, and fun, not many of them agree with each other. So that made it fun. But I did find this and I thought it was interesting and I want to share it with you tonight. It says this, the sin that leads to death is to have a heart unchanged by God's love and so to persist in acts, commitments and convictions outside his will. Now I'm not saying this is the right definition, as I said I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I did find it interesting because what it is saying is that if God's love isn't changing us, if it isn't changing what we believe or how we behave, how we spend our time or our resources, then that is sin. And I wonder if we ponder that for just a moment, not pay lip service to it, but actually think about it. Can you see yourself changing? How are you different from yesterday or last week or last month, last year, 10 years ago, however long ago? Do you know what is God teaching you right now? What's he disciplining you about? What's he working on in your life? What was your last conversation with God actually about? And I wonder if we can't answer this question easily, what does that say about God's transformational love in our life? So that's my first point. I'm going to stick to my word and I'm going to move on. The next part of what I'm going to share is about this idea of what we know. And that's the topic that we've been covering for five weeks. And when you read through these 21 verses that we, I was given, it uses the word know or talks about what we know nine different times. 
And these are the things it talks about. It says, verse 2, we know we love God's children if we love God. Verse 10 says, we know in our hearts that Jesus' testimony is true. Verse 13 says, we know we have eternal life. Verse 15 says, we know God hears us when we pray. And the second half of verse 15 says, we know he will give us what we ask for when we ask for things according to his will. Verse 18 says, we know God's children do not make a practice of sinning. Verse 19 says, we know we are children of God. Verse 20 says, we know the Son of God has come and given us understanding. And the second part of verse 20 says, we can know the true God and have fellowship with him. That's a lot of knowing, right? And I wonder, what does our life look like if we live out of these knowing statements? When we know these things at this level, in our very core, and live that out. Let's look at a few examples. How about the one that says, we know we have eternal life. This is what James was talking about before. It's not a life that just happens when we die and go to heaven. It's a life, a fulfilled life, that starts right here, right now, today. And if we live out of that knowledge, what are the things that we focus on? What are the things that are important to us? What are the things that aren't? If this earth is a fleeting, short life and we have an eternity in heaven, what are the things that are important? It's funny, as I was writing this, me and my sister, who I live with, we're kind of yelling at each other about our messy house. (laughs) Is it important? Probably not when you think about things from that perspective. And can you see how our lives would be different if we lived out of that knowledge every day? What about the part where it says we know we are God's children and he hears us when we speak to him? Think about that. What does that really mean? Wouldn't our lives be wow if we lived that out? Think about it. Creator God of the universe, God of everything, loves us and wants to listen to us. And more than that, he's chosen to adopt us into his family to make us one of his own. Wow, can you see the freedom that we would have in our lives if we lived that out every day? Can you see that our lives wouldn't be safe and mediocre? Can you see what we would think about ourselves and what we would think about the other people around us? Our lives would be so different if we lived that out. What about where it says we know we can have real fellowship with God? And that means we can really spend time with him. We can come to know him. What would our lives look like if we lived that out? How would we approach God in prayer? How would we approach God in our everyday life? Would we ever make the statement, I just haven't had time to do my quiet time, read the Bible, pray, whatever we fill in the gaps there with? Our lives would be completely different if we lived out of these knowing statements every day. And the truth is, I believe, when we know this stuff, truly know it in our deepest parts, We live out of a place of confidence, we live out of a place of authority and victory, and we live out of a place of freedom. We would have a different focus. Verses 4 and and 5 say this, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, very quickly before we go down the wrong path, I just want to cut something off here. When you read the words defeat this evil world, it's very easy to go into like a 
um, DC Rivals, Superman, Marvel, I don't know what all those movies are. Um, but those types of things where you think about battles and wars and winning, yeah? Because that's what it means to defeat the evil world, yeah? Or the other way we might think about it is uh, if we're to subdue the world, maybe it means that we should have a whole heap of power. Maybe we should have a whole heap of control and people just do whatever we say. We'll have a whole heap of influence because that's how we defeat the world, right? Or maybe we defeat the world when we um, live every moment out to its greatest capacity, when we have every different experience and when we get to the end of the day or the week or the month or however long and there's nothing left in the tank. Maybe that's how we defeat the world. Before we go down any of those paths, let me ask you a question. How did Jesus defeat the world? He did it through love, right? Very simply, he loved his father enough to follow his will for his life. And I think that's how we defeat the world. We defeat the world by loving God enough to follow his will for us. It's not rocket science. I believe we can only ever know these knowing statements and live them out. When we have confidence and freedom and we trust in God the way that Jesus is, when we, the way that Jesus did, and we follow God's will the way that Jesus did. So a bit of a trivia question to see if you're all awake. Who can tell me what does it say on the American currency, on their banknotes? Not the United States of America. What else does it say? In God we trust. That's exactly right. There should be a picture, I hope. Yeah? Above where it says one. Now, I'm not commenting on America. I'm not political. Wow, they're so far away from that. What I'm wondering is if we as Christians can stamp on the currency of our life, on our banknotes, in God we trust. It's another moment where it's very, very easy to pay lip service but it's something that should actually challenge us at the next level. So if we talk out of my life, my favourite topic, right? I'm probably someone who has some trust issues. Probably meaning about 100%. But anyway, in my life, I've had to look after myself a lot. And the currency of my life would say, in Mandy, we trust. Yeah? I got Micah to make this for me. And he sent it back to me with the worst photo he could find of me. And I don't know how to change it. So when you see Micah, tell him that I said he's mean. Anyway, so funny story time. 2018, uh, I was in Indonesia with a mission trip here from this church, a group of young people. And one morning, myself and a certain young man who shall remain nameless went for a walk. And as we were going for a walk, we were walking down this road that I'd nicknamed the Road of Death, right? The reason I called it the Road of Death is if you've ever been to Indonesia, um, it was the worst traffic I've... I, I, unfathomable, you know? The, the, anyway, just can't even talk about it. But so they have these little tiny roads and there's more traffic than you've ever seen in your life in one spot. And they're zipping around, driving big trucks, little bikes, everything just all up and down this road. There's no footpaths because they don't roll that way. And you've got to kind of walk down the side of the road like this with cars zipping by and you don't want to die, the road of death, yeah? So I'm walking along with this certain young man and he decides that this is the perfect time to have a deep and meaningful conversation and to give me some life advice. And he was saying to me that he was worried about me and he was saying he thought that if I kept doing some of the things that I was doing that I was going to end up getting hurt. Now, my response to him, and I can still picture it with all the traffic around, was to lean across to him and pat him on his head because that's what I do when, he think, when I think he's doing something dumb, right? 
So I'm patting him on his head like this. And I said to him, you've got nothing to worry about. I said, I've got this covered. I was basically going, these weren't my exact words, but I was like, I'm strong. I'm independent. I'm all over it. Yeah. It was a moment of in Mandy, we trust at its absolute finest. Do you know what happened in that situation? Within a year, less than a year, he was 100% right and I was wrong. And that's a whole other therapy session, but anyway, yeah? He was worried I was going to be hurt and I was hurt. He was worried I didn't know, I wasn't going to be able to cope and I was, you know, freaking out. He was right, I wasn't coping, I wasn't doing well. My moment of in Mandy we trust had totally backfired. Most of you will know at least part of my story, but if you don't, about five years ago, maybe a little bit longer, I felt like God was telling me it was time to leave my job at Barnardo's. I'd been working there for a decade. I was in a position of kind of senior management. I'd been there for a long time. I really loved my job, uh, but I felt like God was telling me to go. And so I resigned and I didn't really have anywhere else to go. And people often hear that story and they think, And they say to me, oh, you have so much faith. You trust in God so much. That's so amazing. I wish I was like you, blah, blah, blah. And can I tell you, that's all polywaffle. It's not the truth at all. You see, the truth is I'd been working as a semi-professional for a couple of decades and I had a large pool of savings. And I knew that if everything went wrong, that I could fall back on that and I'd be okay. The funny thing was in that story, a couple of months after that I'd resigned, I still didn't have another job. I felt like God was giving me the opportunity to give away a big chunk of that money, of that savings. There was a person um, who was looking at going into a mission position and they needed financial support. And I really felt like God was saying, Mandy, I want you to do this. Yeah, so I did. But can I tell you, was at that point I was scared, genuinely scared, because the narrative in my head was this. It was, what about if I don't have enough money? What about if I can't look after myself? In Mandy, we trust, right? In money, we trust. In safety, we trust. In security, we trust. There are so many things we can put our trust in. 2019 was a jerk of a year for me. Most of you will know I lost my job as a chaplain. Thank you very much, ACT government. Yeah. Most of you will know I lost my house. Thank you very much, mum. Yeah. I had a number of key relationships where the people I thought I could trust or people who I thought I knew, I just didn't really know. And they let me down. And you know, the worst thing is, I sit back at the end of that year now, and I think to myself, I didn't behave in a way that was particularly honoring to God. You see, I talked the talk when it came to trusting in God, but I don't feel like I walked the walk. I spent a lot of time in 2019 anxiously trying to figure things out. What's going to happen? Where am I going to go? What's going to happen next? Yeah. I spent a lot of time getting quite frustrated at people and things that weren't doing what I wanted them to do. And I spend a lot of time complaining and feeling sorry for myself. Now, I know you're all better than me, right? Clearly. And you probably don't struggle with this stuff at all. But I have to say, I think there are many, many, many things that we can put our trust in. And that's why I've shared some of these stories. And it's not that any of these things are in and of themselves bad. It's just that they cause us to stop trusting in God in the same way. So for you, maybe you trust yourself. Maybe it's your job, maybe superannuation, you're all too young for that. Maybe, you know, your financial security. Uh, Maybe it's that you've made your life so safe that you don't have to worry about trusting in God day by day. Maybe it's a relationship with a partner or friends. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's another role that you take on. 
Maybe your focus is on the here and now and getting everything out of this moment and not relying on God. As I said, we can put our trust in so many other things and that's why I said I think verse 21 may just be the most important scripture we will ever hear. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So I want to ask you this question again. Is there anything in your life that might be taking God's rightful place in your heart? Is there anything that you're putting your trust in that means you're not relying on God in the same way? What are the things that we are trusting in? And what might God be asking us about those things? So I'm going to wrap up and I want to wrap up by offering some encouragement after a very negative sermon. Yeah. Every year I try to make a personal mantra. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's kind of like a vision statement for my year. And my 2020 mantra is this, and I think I've put it up there. 2020 may not be a better year, but I'll be a better person. You see, I believe we, are a, we can be a better person <laughs> when we choose to trust in God more, when we choose to refocus our life if we need to, when we choose to think about what the things are that we're trusting in and when we allow Jesus to take his rightful place in our lives. And I wonder if you'll take this challenge with me for this year and make 2020 a year where we take our collective relationships with Jesus to a whole new level by trusting in him more and more, by focusing on what's actually important more and more, and by living out of what we know every day. So I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are creator God and you love us and that we can rely on you wholeheartedly for everything. And that we can trust in you. There are so many things in this world that will let us down, but you are not one of them, God. And I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord God, that the things that you have spoken to us tonight, that you would work on us and work in us. And that as we experience more and more of your love, that we'll be changed and live lives that honor you more and more each day. Amen.